In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the reading where there is a lawyer who is asking Christ what is it that he should do to inherit eternal life. He says in Luke chapter 10, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, what, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is really a question of self-reflection for all of us to understand what is it that we are lacking, what is it that we need in order to inherit eternal life. And one of the, the reasons why we would even ask this question to begin with is because we desire to examine ourselves and to know what it is that is lacking in us. We have to ask the question, how well do we know do ourselves? Do we walk through life blinded to who we really are, not being really aware of who we are? Sometimes there's a person who has a weakness, has something that is lacking in them that maybe everyone around them can see, but they themselves cannot see. And why is it that they might not be able to see? Because they don't take the time to examine themselves, to know themselves, to be aware of who they really are. Because we say that the only thing that we have to do to inherit eternal life is to repent, is to repent of our sins. God is not going to disqualify anyone based on any sin that they have committed. If you look at the right-hand thief, the right-hand thief, he died without having any opportunity to right any wrong that he had done, without the opportunity to return anything that he had stolen, but simply because he repented at the very last minute of his life that Christ accepted him. So if repentance, if repentance is all we need, then we have to ask ourselves, what do we need to repent? If this right-hand thief to the very end of his life had not acknowledged that he was a thief, had not acknowledged that he was a sinner, or that all he was doing was defending himself or justifying his need to steal, saying, you know what, I needed it. Uh, other people had more advantages than I did. I, I deserve to have the things that I took. Then he would have died and perished because he would not have repented of his sin. So we have to be aware of our sin. We have to be aware of who we are and what it is that we're doing. The first step to doing that is that we cannot sugarcoat the sins that we commit. We cannot pretend that they are different than what they are. We shouldn't give them another name. A person who is aware of their sin calls sin by its true name. An example of this is the Samaritan woman. When Christ met with the Samaritan woman at the well and he, he asked her about her husband, she responded and said, I have no husband. She said, I have no husband. She didn't say, you know what, well, the person I'm living with, but we're committed and we love each other and we're living together, but, you know, he's like my husband, but no, he says, I have no husband. Because the person I'm living with now, he is not my husband. What are some things that maybe we do that we try to sugarcoat or downplay the sins that we commit to give them a different name so we don't feel so bad about ourselves for doing these things and to justify what it is that we are doing? We speak about white lies. We speak about white lies. A lie that we feel is, you know, it's reasonable. It's not a bad lie. It's not, it's not a really bad lie. It doesn't have very bad consequences. It's a small lie. It's, it's something that was convenient in the moment that didn't really, like, it doesn't hurt anyone, right? But it's still a lie. In the eyes of God, this is a lie. This is something that is not truthful. We speak about love instead of lust, right? The world uses and has abused the word love to mean lust for years and years and years, right? Do we do this? Do we say that what I, what I really feel is lust, but I call it love? I call it love to justify the emotion, to just justify my actions. We speak about entertainment, right? Which is, seems like a, an innocuous word, a word that it doesn't really um, connote anything evil or sinful. But what we really mean is being exposed to something ungodly, 
to being exposed to some ungodly situation, some ungodly media, something ungodly that we that we view and we partake of, and yet we call it entertainment because we don't want to call it by its true name. We don't say that this is sinful. What it is that I'm doing, we say that it is entertainment. Or when it comes to friendship, sometimes we have friends and sometimes we have flirting, right? But do I call flirting friendship just because I don't want to give it its true name? Sometimes I feel hatred toward other people. If I really were honest and I said, well, how is it that I feel toward others? I feel hatred toward them. I hate them. But we don't like saying that. We say, I don't feel comfortable with them. I don't like spending time with them. I would prefer not to see them again, right? But what is it really behind this? Maybe it's hatred. Maybe I really hate them. Maybe I wish them harm. But I don't want to admit this to myself. And if I cannot admit this to myself, then I cannot repent of the sin because I'm not acknowledging that it is a sin. And I certainly cannot admit it to my father of confession. I have to first admit it to myself before I can admit it to anyone else. So what are some characteristics of being aware of my own sin? In order for me to be aware of my sin, what are some characteristics? The first is godly sorrow, sorrow over my sin. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Meaning there is such a thing as a healthy guilt, as a healthy sorrow, as a healthy sadness and regret. This is not the same as despair. This is not the, the same as losing hope. This just means I am sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for the things that, that I have done. And so I feel sorrow. And this sorrow leads me to repentance, right? And this is how we can tell if the sorrow that I have is constructive or destructive. If it is a constructive sorrow, which is accompanied by hope of God's forgiveness, then I come to God asking for forgiveness, asking to help me change, sorry for what I have done, but at the same time hopeful that God can change me, hopeful that God is going to forgive me, and hopeful that the future can be better than the past. This is a healthy sorrow. The unhealthy destructive sorrow is one that causes me to hate myself, to feel like I am never going to succeed or I'm never going to amount to anything or that I have no value or that everyone else around me is better than me and that I am um, I'm, I'm little in the eyes of everyone. I compare myself to other people. This is an example of the unhealthy kind of sorrow. Instead of comparing myself to what God had said, I compare myself to others and I say, well, this person doesn't have this problem or this person doesn't have this problem and we just fall into despair because we feel ourselves to be so little and we cannot... Um, you know, we, we, cannot, we cannot attain the, the rank or the status of other people around me. If you look at the example of the Samaritan woman, she is the perfect example of healthy kind of sorrow because she acknowledged that what she did was wrong and that she was living in sin. And yet when Christ came and he offered her the message that he offered her, what did she do? She didn't go back to her house wallowing in sadness and sorrow and crying and saying, you know what, I give up and there's no way that I can be a righteous person. I've had five husbands. Or to say, you know what, I've been an outcast and nobody wants to talk to me and so this is going to make me feel even worse. No, actually she went back and she had the boldness to go and to preach to the people and to tell them about her encounter with Christ and she became an evangelist. And actually her whole life transformed in that moment from being just this sinful woman who wanted to hide from the people to being someone who was bold and she went and she preached Christ to the people. So this godly sorrow that, that you know maybe at the beginning would look like sadness, turned into action. It turned into something that I want to do, something that I want to change out of hope, that I believe that God has not abandoned me. I believe that God is calling me to action, to do some action that he wants me to do, not just to go back into my bedroom and cry. Right? There's, more, there's more to sorrow than just tears. 
Maybe our, our sorrow begins with tears. Maybe the, the realization of my sin is sad. Okay? But I have to move past this and say, okay, now what? What is it that I do? A lot of times the, the sorrow that we feel is actually pride. We are so upset because we want to believe that we are perfect. And we want other people around us to believe that we are perfect. And so when we discover that there is something imperfect, that there is something flawed in me, I can't handle it. I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't process it. I want to avoid it at all costs. And so I begin to defend myself. And I say, I'm going to, this is not really a sin. I was justified in this. And we go on and on and make all kinds of, excuse, all kinds of excuses, trying to, to, to make ourselves feel better because we don't want to go through this godly sorrow. But what St. Paul here said to the Corinthians is that this sorrow produces repentance. This sorrow is what produces repentance in me, that maybe God is allowing me to sorrow. God is allowing me to sorrow by letting me to discover my weaknesses in order for me, in order for me to change, in order for me to improve. And sometimes this sorrow comes through the comments of others, which is, can be the most painful. But instead of accepting the comments that other people, the critical comments that someone might say to me, of course, sometimes we know these comments are not true. But there are times where the comments are true. Okay? Instead of accepting these comments, sometimes I just defend myself and attack this person who has made the comment because I don't want to accept the truth. So what is an, uh, this first characteristics of someone who is aware of their sin is someone who is sorrowful whenever they discover the sin in their life. Another characteristic of someone who is aware of their sin is godly fear. Godly fear. In the midnight prayers, we say this. We say, when I realize my many wicked deeds and the thought of that awesome judgment comes to my heart, a tremble takes hold of me and I take refuge in you, O God, the lover of mankind. I take refuge in you, O God, the lover of mankind. And so you see again as before, there is two aspects to this. The first one is a fear of judgment. The fear of judgment. You know, when Christ in the, in the scripture, he speaks about hellfire, something that we don't like to hear of and we don't like to talk about. And he says, what? That you will cast you out and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what he speaks about when he speaks about hell. Why does he say this? Is he saying this because he wants us to be punished? Is he saying this because he wants us to be frightened? He's saying it only because he wants us to remember that there is consequences for sin. And those are very severe consequences. Not so that we would live our life trembling literally because of this fear, but that these, these thoughts would come to our mind. One of the reasons that I should avoid sin is because of the judgment. There is going to be a judgment and then God is aware of my sin. So I also have to be aware of my sin. When I realize my many wicked deeds and the thought of that awesome judgment comes to my heart, a tremble takes hold of me. But again, that's not the end of the story. So what is the result? The result is, I take refuge in you, O God, the lover of mankind. Meaning, even if I fall in sin, I believe that you can protect me from judgment. I feel that you can protect me from punishment and consequence because I'm offering, again, repentance. So the purpose of this fear the purpose of this trembling is not because we are afraid that we are doomed, but because it wants to lead us to repent. Because as long as we are repenting, then we are saved. But if we are not repenting, then we are liable to lose our salvation. This fear leads me to a seriousness in my life. This fear leads me to examine myself uh, conscientiously with seriousness, not taking it lightly. That when I go to confession, First of all, that I should go to confession. Second of all, when I go to confession, I am 
serious about this confession. I, I'm not going to confess to blame others. I'm not going to confess just to talk about my problems with my father of confession. I, the first and foremost thing that I do in the sacrament of confession, and it is a sacrament where we believe that the Holy Spirit looses our sin that binds us, is I go and I offer, I lay myself bare in front of my father of confession and I say every wicked, sinful thing that I am ashamed of. Because it is only in this that I am freed from the bondage of sin. All of us have these things. All of us have these bondages, these, these sinful bondages that we have. And if we hide them, if we're too embarrassed to discuss them, then we will never be free from them. The only way to be free is that first I am aware of them and the second is I confess them in godly fear. The third uh, characteristic of someone who is aware of their sin is that they have uh, prayers that are accepted. King David in Psalm 50, he says, A broken and humbled heart God shall not despise. When we go and stand before God in prayer, what should be our attitude? What should be our posture? What should be our thinking? As King David, I have a broken and humbled heart. And this broken and humbled heart, when I offer it to God, God will not despise it. Meaning I'm coming to God not just because I want him to do things for me. I'm coming to God and I, I know myself and I know who I am compared to who God is. I know my unrighteousness compared to God's righteousness. We can look at the example of the prayer uh, of the publican at the door of the temple. This is the, the story that Christ spoke about that there was a tax collector who prayed to God and he offered a sincere prayer speaking about how sinful he was. And he compared this to a prayer of a Pharisee who was very self-righteous. And he spoke about how righteous he was. And he said, which of these two pray prayers is accepted before God? And he said, the tax collector's prayer. The one who, who admitted before God that he was broken and humble of heart. The one who did not deserve to look up to heaven. The one who beat his chest because of his sin. This is the example of the person whose prayers was accepted. So I ask, when in our own prayers, when we pray before God, what is the content of our prayer? What is, what is what we're thinking about during our prayer? What is our posture? What is our understanding of ourselves in our prayer when we come to pray? Do we pray? Sometimes, you know, we, we feel like we're giving God, like we're doing God a favor when we go pray. Say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm taking time out of my day and I'm, you know, going and to stand before prayer and God is asking so much of me. And because I have this attitude, right, this is not the attitude of King David, right, in Psalm 50. King David, when he went to pray, he went there because he needed God to be with him. He needed God's mercy. He needed the grace of God. He needed God's forgiveness. So someone who is going, it's like someone who is so thirsty, you don't have to tell him to go and drink. He's going to run to drink because he is so thirsty, right? Whereas sometimes when we go and pray, we're not going to pray because we're thirsty or we feel that we need anything from God. We feel like we're giving God a gift. We're like, God, here, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some time. I'm giving you this and we feel proud of ourselves, like maybe I'm giving God something that he wants. It should be the opposite. It should be that I'm going to God because I need him, not because I'm going to God because I'm giving him something that he wants. And so these prayers of brokenness that are in me when I come to God in brokenness, this is a result of being truly aware of my sin and taking my sin seriously, not lightly. Another characteristic of someone who is uh, aware of their sin is that they rely on the grace of God. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When I offer my sin to God, when I offer my confession to God, when I become aware of my sin, 
How is it that they break the bonds of sin? Sometimes we imagine that we can break the bonds of sin ourselves. Sometimes we think that all I need to do is try harder. All I need to do is to avoid certain things. All I need to do is to stop talking to certain people. All I need to do is whatever it is based on the sin that I'm committing. And all those things are good. All those things we should take action. We should cut out things. But without the grace of God working in our lives, there is no way that we can ever overcome any kind of sin. Think about who is the one that is causing us to fall. Who is the one tempting us? It is Satan. It is the devil. He is the one who is causing us to fall. And he is more clever. He is more experienced. He is more powerful he is, he, he, than any of us. And he has his demons working nonstop around the clock, tempting us even when we're asleep. Okay? How is it that we can stand in front of this army of demons whose sole purpose is to destroy us? And I can say, you know what? Because of my cleverness, I'm going to be able to stop from sinning. It's not possible. So we need the grace of God working in us. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace of God, not on your own self-will, not on your own uh, self-discipline, right? We cannot rely on the grace of God apart from our self-discipline. We have to have self-discipline. We have to struggle to have discipline in our life. But apart from the grace of God working in us, we have no hope. We have no hope of overcoming anything, okay? So we have to rely on the grace of God for forgiveness. We have to rely on the grace of God to increase us, to help us to stand up again, to help us to overcome our sin. All of this is essential, right? So it's, it's important. Once we become aware of our sin, my first thing that I should do is I should go to God in prayer. That's the first thing, asking for God's mercy, asking for God's protection, asking for God to keep me away from the sources of sin as I continue to fall and fall and again and again. I keep asking God, protect me, protect me, have mercy on me. Sometimes people have very good intentions of wanting to overcome sin, but maybe we do it without relying on the grace of God. We do it only in our own strength and we find frustration when we are not successful. The next characteristic of someone who is aware of their own sin is someone who is actually willing to accept suffering in their life. Uh, we read about King David, uh, who's, who after he was cursed by someone, he says what in 2 Samuel 16, So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? King David was fleeing and because of his sin. King David was fleeing because he had committed sin with Bathsheba and he was experiencing all the consequences of the sin that he had committed and God had told him ahead of time that this was going to happen. So even in the midst of this suffering, he, he realized that he was the cause of suffering. He realized that he was the one who was worthy of this suffering, that he is the one who brought this on himself. And so he is willing to accept this. He's willing to accept that someone is going to come and to curse him. Maybe a lot of times the, the sufferings that we experience is not because of directly because of our sin. It's not because God is punishing us. It's not because of something we have done either directly or indirectly. But God has seen it fit to allow us to suffer. And maybe the suffering we experience is actually protecting us. Maybe the suffering we experience is actually helping, keeping us from sin, allowing us to draw closer to God, causing us to seek God more, like we were speaking before about the accepted prayers. When I feel that I am truly in need, I go to God more. I have a closer connection with God. 
So when we are aware of our sins, we don't feel ourselves above suffering. We don't feel ourselves so good. You know, sometimes we ask the question, we say, well, why does God allow good people to suffer? Or about myself, you know, I'm a good person. I haven't done this or that. Why is it that I'm allowed to suffer? Maybe again, the situation is that I don't really know myself. I don't really know my weaknesses. And so I really don't know why God is allowing me to suffer because I don't know the disease that I have that God is trying to cure for me. But if we begin to think, you know what, maybe I don't know specifically the disease, but I'm going to try to find out this disease. I'm going to try to find out what is it that God is curing me from? What is it that God is helping me to learn? What is it that I'm lacking that God needs to show me? And so I begin to think of that that way. Instead of always just looking to the outside and saying, God, it makes no sense to me. Why are you allowing this to happen? Instead, I can try looking on the inside, saying, well, is there something God is trying to tell me? Is there something God wants me to know? So we begin to accept the suffering even that we don't understand, even that we don't know why this is happening, simply because we think, well, maybe God is purifying me. But the only way we can believe that God could be purifying is if we're aware that we have impurity. If I believe that I'm completely pure in everything, then nothing that God does is going to make sense. All the prayers that we pray in the Akbaya, so many of the prayers that we pray is all speaking about God's mercy, God's forgiveness. If I don't feel that I am in need of God's mercy or need of God's forgiveness, then all of those prayers are nonsense to me. Why would I pray them? They don't mean anything to me. They only mean something to me if I put myself in the place of the person who wrote those prayers and I say, this is me, this is who I am. I am a weak sinner. I, I need God's mercy and I need God's forgiveness. Another uh, characteristic of someone who uh, is aware of their sin is that they cannot judge other people. In Luke 6:41, it says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Right? Someone who uh, is aware of their sin cannot see the sins in anyone else. They cannot see it because they are so focused on their own sin, they are not able to acknowledge, to see, to judge their brother. Right, So this is something that we have to understand, that the more I examine myself, the easier it is for me to have relationships with other people. Because one of the big obstacles for me to have good relationships with other people is our own natural, um, our, our natural tendency to judge one another. It's, we, we naturally judge. We, we're, and the reason I judge is because I believe that I'm better than you. That's why I judge another person. I judge another person, the bottom line is, because I believe that I'm better than you. Even if I don't know that that's why I judge. I judge because I believe that I have something you don't have. I judge because I think that you should have been able to make a better decision, and if I were in your place, I would have made a better decision. Right? I judge other people. Right? But if I know myself really, and, and actually I should be able to know myself better than anyone else can know me. I should know all the hidden secrets. I should know all of the wickedness that's inside me more than any other person could ever know, more than any other person could ever discover because they are not in my head. But if I truly know myself this way, then when anyone commits any kind of sin around me, no matter what the sin, I cannot judge them because I'm just going to see that I'm judging myself. I'm going to see if I judge this person, how is God judging me? That I even do worse things than them. And if we really think about ourselves, we will find that we, we know more bad things about ourselves than we know about any other person. But we have to be honest with ourselves. 
It was said about Emba Macarius, Emba Macarius who was uh, a saint and a, and a monk and a father of monks. It was said about him this. It said, like a god upon this earth, Abba Macarius would cover the faults of others which he saw as though he did not see them and those which he heard as though he did not hear them. Imagine that we would see the sinful actions of others or hear about the sinful actions of others, but our heart is not moved with a judgment against them in any way. This is where we are trying to be. We're trying to reach this point. And, and we cannot do this unless we are very intimately aware of our own sins. So what keeps us from reaching this awareness? What keeps us from knowing ourselves this way? What prevents us from this godly awareness? There's a few things we'll speak about. The first is distraction distraction we are not interested to examine we don't want to know uh, what it is that's there and we distract ourselves constantly so that we do not know and that we don't take the time to examine we don't take the time to study and to understand ourselves and we are distracted maybe we're distracted by indulgence in a sinful life and this sinful lifestyle causes us to shut our ears to the word of god it causes us to want to keep from hearing what he has to say. I don't want to hear the words of judgment coming from God. I don't want to hear what is going to come for me in the end. I don't want to hear about God's commandments. I don't want to hear. I just want to live and enjoy my life. And so because we do this, our ears are closed and our eyes are unable to perceive in ourselves who we really are because we don't want to know who we really are. We, we don't want to know. All we want to do is enjoy our time. We want to enjoy ourselves. We want to enjoy our life. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying our life. We should enjoy our life. But true enjoyment of life is a life that's accompanied by God. And to, in order for us to truly be accompanied by God, we have to confess our sins in order for us to draw closer to Him. Our sins is what keeps us from enjoying our life. Our sins is what keeps us separated from God. So in order to truly enjoy, means I have to be with God. And in order to be with God, I have to remove the obstacles of sin. And in order to remove them, I have to first be aware of them. So I can confess them, so I can remove them. Another distraction is a growing numbness toward the word of God. We stop caring about what God has said. We stop caring about it. We, we've read it so many times, we know what God has said, but yet it doesn't move my heart anymore. When I hear that God is telling me about something that is against his commandments, something that is sinful, and then even when I find that maybe I'm doing this, my heart is not moved. I don't make any effort to change. I don't make any effort to confess. It just doesn't move me. I don't care anymore. It's just something maybe that I used to care about a long ago, but I gave up. It's like, you know what? I, it doesn't, doesn't bother me anymore. Another reason we might be prevented from this godly awareness is busyness. This is a distraction for us also busyness we're, we're so busy we don't even have the time to examine ourselves i remember long ago when before there was like cell phones when you would be standing in line to go to to do something you're standing in line and waiting you actually had to find something to do there was no phone you could you couldn't pick up your phone and start surfing the internet and going to different websites and checking your email and doing all this you actually had a time where you really didn't have anything you could do but just reflect you know, you, 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 you just are thinking. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about your day. You're thinking about your relationships. You're thinking about whatever it is. And we were forced to do that at certain periods of our life because there was no other option, right? Now, with all the technology we have and everything, we can find 
a way to occupy ourselves every second of every day if we want to, where we don't give ourselves a chance to think or to reflect or to examine or to do anything. If we didn't want to, we could very easily live a life like that. And unfortunately, I would say most people live that kind of life where we all are just taken by so many inputs all the time that keeps me from being able to think inwardly, think introspectively at all. They have no way, no time to think introspectively because we are so busy. And even the times we are not busy because we are being like work is being imposed on us that we have to do, we end up distracting ourselves because of our chosen lifestyle of what we choose to do. So these distractions prevent us. These distractions prevent us. We have to make a time during our day for introspection. We have to make a time during the day where we think about who we are. What, who am I? What direction am I going? And what is it that I need to confess? Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This should be our prayer that we're asking God, search me and try me and see if there is any wicked way in me and reveal it to me. Reveal to me if there is a wicked way. Reveal it to me so that I can offer a confession. Another reason we are prevented from this godly awareness is because we do not measure ourselves accurately. We don't have the right standard. We don't have the right standard to define what is sin. When I say, am I aware of my sin or not? What is it? What is sin that I'm trying to find or detect? In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who have commended themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. What am I comparing myself to, to determine if I have sinned or not? Am I comparing myself to my next door neighbor? Am I comparing myself to people I know at the church, to my family members, to my closest friends at church, to my co-workers? Who am I comparing myself to? Here, St. Paul is saying, do not compare yourselves by yourselves. Who is, your, who is the standard? What is the standard of comparison? It's Christ himself. Christ himself is the standard. He is the one we are comparing ourselves to. And if we compare ourselves with him, we find that we are very, very lacking. We, we, we have not done and we cannot do what he does. So our standard should be that high. This is our standard. This is what we work toward. This is why the saints became saints. The saints became saints because they set a standard who is Christ himself and not some low, low, low standard like we set. You know, so, some people, they set their standard like as long as I don't murder anyone and don't rob a bank and don't do these big kind of crimes, then essentially like I'm good. I'm good. I'm a good Christian. That is not the standard. That is not the standard God has set, right? God has set the standard of loving your enemies, right? Who, who of us compares ourselves to that standard? I mean, we're happy if we don't curse our enemies, you know, if I just don't curse my enemies and say, I'm good, I'm doing good. Actually, that God is saying, love your enemies. Don't just avoid doing evil to them, but actually do good to them, right? So in order for us to really know ourselves, we have to, uh, we have to measure ourselves with the right standard. And then finally, another thing that prevents people from being aware of their own sin is by avoiding rebuke, avoiding rebuke. Like we said before, sometimes we don't want to accept correction. We don't want to accept criticism. We don't want to affect, accept any negative comment made about us, even if it is the most, like presented to us in the most uh, gentle way. It is just a simple comment. It's a, just a simple um, criticism about something that we've done for the purpose of actually helping us to be better. 
Or maybe I avoid confession because I do not want someone to expose me, to see me as I am, and to tell me that I should change something. Tell me that I should do something. I avoid it all. I, de- I, I avoid it altogether, and I surround myself with only people that accept me exactly the way that I am, and they do not comment and they do not point out anything that I should change, anything that I should improve. Right. So essentially, I find myself a group of people that commit the same sins, sins that I do, and we all just have fun together with this sin, and that way I do not feel rebuked. In my conscience, I don't feel rebuked through the words that anyone says to me in the language. I don't feel any kind of rebuke. So I, I begin to forget what is actually the standard of God. I begin to think and imagine that my own life becomes the standard because all the people around me are always just telling me everything you're doing is good. You, you don't have to change anything. Everything is good in your life. And I, and I believe that. And society tells us this. Society tells us, well, be who you are. Do whatever you want to do. As long as it feels good, just do it. Right? And don't ever rebuke anyone for doing anything because who are you to judge? Right? This is what the world teaches us. Okay? We can rebuke because Christ told us that we are responsible for the salvation of our brother. He told us that we are responsible. So we can rebuke actions. We don't judge the people. We don't, we don't judge and say, well, this means that this person is, is a bad person. We're not saying that. But we rebuke the action. The action is either a correct action or it's a wrong action. And we have to be willing to accept rebuke when we are the target of this rebuke. Because this is one of the ways that God reveals to us maybe that we have to make a change, that we need a different direction. And he allows us to be aware of our sins when we have no other means to be aware of it. So may God grant us that we always are aware of who we really are. We examine ourselves. We know ourselves. We, we, we say with King David, God, test me. Test me to see if there is any wicked way in me and that we really want to know this instead of blinding our eyes and imagining and pretending that there is nothing that we need to know. And glory be to God forever. Amen.